This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, in most states, as of this recording, there is a slow return to normal, whatever the new normal is. Now, with that comes the opportunity to reflect back on this last year, to see what we've learned from it. So I have a question for you. If I were to ask you the question, what was one weakness in your organization that the COVID pandemic exposed, what would that be? Or on the flip side of that question, what was one strength that really stood out about your organization during the pandemic? Well, these are just a couple of the questions that I posed recently to Mark Harivna, who is the senior editor for the Nonprofit Times. Since Mark is constantly researching and writing about all things nonprofit, I wanted to glean from him what he saw were some of the latest trends that are coming out of our nonprofit sector, particularly now. I think you're going to really enjoy Mark's insights. Thanks for listening. Well, Marks, thanks so much for being on the show today. Sure, yeah, glad to be here. You got it. Well, for my listeners, could you start out by giving us a quick introduction to the Nonprofit Times? Why was it started and how long has it been around? Yeah, it was launched in 1987, April 1987 to be specific. Uh, Our founder and CEO, John McElwam, started it. He uh, previously had worked at a direct response fundraising magazine and before that, Gallup Research. Very much big into market research and, and saw a need. Uh, have a, a business journal, business journal focused strictly on running nonprofits. You know, whether it was direct response or pretty much anything now, uh, human resources, any kind of element of running charities uh, and how to run them better. And what do, what would you say if you just say, okay, here's our primary target? Who would that be for the Nonprofit Times? It's definitely anybody running a nonprofit. Our leadership has a our reader profile is an average or senior level executive with an average of about 17 years experience at a nonprofit. So they've been around the block. They've been in the sector a long time. They're usually fundraisers, vice presidents of development, CEOs, CFOs. Uh, we have a sister publication that's focused on chief financial officers, you know, even in investment officers, finance, finance and risk management. It runs the gamut of, of executives at, at charities. And I'm just curious a little bit, do you have many donors that really dive in and send notes to you or even like corporations that are trying to get a pulse on the nonprofit sector, they also tend to read it or is that pretty rare? Yeah, uh, with the rise of corporate social responsibility and, and corporate foundations coming into the uh, into play in the last decade or two, that's become big as well as other aspects of social good like you know, social innovation, social enterprises, not a big part of our readership, but it's still a little bit, uh, a, a, little, a little bit each year, each each trend growing and growing. Like I, I recall writing a few years ago, probably more like a decade ago, you have different rules and changes like the the triple C organizations uh, and different kind of elements of uh, nonprofits and, and social good that are that are coming out there. 
Well, good. Well, with your role at the Nonprofit Times, you're constantly reading, you're researching, and then you're writing about the latest trends in the nonprofit sector. So I would like to really spend a lot of time on that because my listeners, I think they're always interested in what are the trends, what's going on, not just in their neck of the woods, so to speak, but around the country and even internationally. Could you talk a bit about, I'd say, let's just do two of the most surprising trends that are going on right now in the nonprofit sector. Surprising trends. I, you know, I'd say any kind of trend is going to be COVID-related since we're coming out of the pandemic. Whether it was you know, the, the shift to g- digital giving has been accelerated along with a lot of other trends generally, but you know, uh, consumers got really used to using online, whether it was to order the toilet paper or whatever they needed during the pandemic that was touchless, you know, contact-free. The same way that the consumers are getting used to using online more and more the same way they're doing that with their donations. So we saw a rise of uh, in online giving and giving generally. I, I think one of the surprising trends, I think, was you know between the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was terrified that nonprofits would go out of business. And you saw the lines at the food banks, and the food banks were crushed with services. But as usual, just like any disaster, and this was sort of a slow-moving disaster, donors came through, and food banks and the basic services saw their not only did they see the services uh, skyrocket during the pandemic, but then they slowly and quickly, after a while, saw a boost, huge boost in donations, uh, and, and generally online too. And, and one of the, I think one of the things that folks and nonprofits are kind of worried about is what happens now, coming out of the pandemic, is you know is that giving going to keep up, and whether the services are going to keep up. So that's I think one of the trends as far as the, the fundraising side. Similarly, you know, small, small and medium nonprofits included are accelerating or jumping into online giving more so than they did before. And I think something, something surprising to me was just the, the flexibility and the, the adaptiveness. Um, not that I was surprised that, that nonprofits adapted, but I think even something like a few different uh, small performing arts organizations that I talked to had never done anything like streaming, live streaming performances. And the pandemic kind of forced them to do, to do that, just like, Charities started having to live stream all their events and other fundraising events a year ago because of the pandemic. And some of that is going to stick around. Obviously not as a primary because people like performing arts organizations want, want, uh, folks in seats. But I think it would probably be a compliment of some kind for other donors or for a certain, certain part of the market that's still going to be into it. And they'll still probably generate some revenue in that way. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. And finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, 
Well, it's interesting you. So just a quick summary. It sounds like, you know, the, obviously the rise of online giving, no doubt about it. We've seen that across the board. It was interesting you mentioned that people were terrified that nonprofits would go out of business. And I do think there was a real concern. Uh, a lot of the community here in Utah and Park City, where I live specifically, there was a lot of concern. Like, will people keep giving? Will they have the money and the ability to keep giving? And then, like you said, we, you know, I happen to run a nonprofit that has a food pantry, actually two different food pantries. And you're right. I, I was amazed by how many people really came out of the woodwork to support what we're doing. They wanted to make sure that people stayed in their homes, stayed in their apartments, had food on their table. So I definitely saw that. Now, it's interesting to me that you said uh, you were surprised how many people went to like online events, online performances, and you think this will continue. Do you have any examples of that where you've already seen some people still kind of doing a hybrid approach, if you will, where they're maybe slowly opening to events that are um, partially in person, but they still have that online element? Any examples you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, one of the early organizations I talked to, I want to say it was the Florida Orchestra in Tampa St. Pete area. And they had never, I was surprised when I interviewed them, they had never done live streaming before. And they're not that small, but they're not, you know, they're not Lincoln Center, but they're they're big enough uh, that I would imagine, you know, I just figured they, they did. They had their perform, their orchestra members performing, uh, they set up a YouTube channel, they're setting up all their performances, and they had a really good response from donors who said, you know, you guys need, you guys need my, uh, my season tickets. The, the, they had an option of donating their season tickets, uh, donations, instead of getting refunds. And most did, I think, I, I don't want, I don't remember the precise percentage, but it was certainly a majority that donated the, the value of their, their tickets. And they'll, they had some donors talk to them and say, this is great. And they could, they may be maybe older or some reason they can't make it out to their, their, uh, the art center where they said they were probably going to, they had a lot of good feedback from donors saying, this is great. You know, hope to continue that. And I think a lot of anecdotally, a, a couple other organizations like that had, had really gotten a good feed, got a good feedback to the point that, you know, it's going to be worth sticking around to some ex- extent, I think. Even they weren't sure how, but they certainly were expecting to have some element of, of online virtual performances continue along with regular performances. Well, along those lines, then, had you seen any either sectors within the nonprofit organization world or just large percentages within a state of nonprofits who didn't survive COVID or they're really unsure if they can survive the next six months? Have you run into that anywhere, again, parts of the country or in, again, different sectors within the nonprofit world? You know, there's definitely a few organizations that I talked to that were really trying to think of the right word to say. Uh, they were nervous. And they, they weren't sure if they were going to have to do another round of layoffs and then how long the pandemic would go. It's first the second, I don't know whether it was the second or third wave, but sometime around Thanksgiving or, or, or Christmas, we still weren't sure exactly. We didn't have the vaccine. The vaccine wasn't out yet. The second round of PPP uh, loans, that was a lifeline for this particular organization. It was the um, Make-A-Wish Connecticut affiliate. And they weren't sure. They already had some layoffs in August. They, the, the first round of PPP was critical for them. And then, you know, come New Year's, they were expected, they were hoping for a big year end to, to really get them through. And they did, but they still, last time I talked to them, they, you know, it was still pre-vaccine and they were optimistic, but at the same time, not so sure. I haven't heard of any other, any organization specifically closing because of it, but I'm, I'm, wouldn't surprise me if there, if there were. I think a lot of it will be regional and also where their donors are coming from because the, you know, just generally donors are, uh, more more donations are coming from the the higher end of the market. Uh, more affluent donors are making up bigger 
part of the uh, part of the giving pie generally overall. Some of that probably is going to buck the trend. That's been a trend. That's been a growing trend for the last decade or so, and I'm sure some of that will will buck the trend for for COVID because I think regular, I should say not regular, but um, average average and small dollar donation donors, small dollar donors, probably came really really came up big in the past year for for the pandemic just because they they realized that. And like I said, it's it's been described to me as a you know, slow moving donation. Pardon me. It's been described to me as a a slow moving disaster. And we all know that Americans give during disaster. That's the biggest, not just to, to disaster, literally physical disaster organizations, but just any time there's, there's something that's on the TV, you know, on, on the news every day for weeks, they know that, you know, look, somebody needs help and they're going to give, they're going to give money. That's just all there is to it. Well, I agree with you. I think that we saw that with, you know, the American response as a whole, as a country, right, that we really responded to the needs, whether it be the food pantry or to rent assistance or you name it, and even stepping up for art organizations that maybe don't seem as critical to humanitarian issues, but they still wanted to support their favorite, you know, art uh, nonprofit organizations, and they've been able to hang in there and survive so far. As you reflect over this last year, and now with the lifting of mass mandates, as we were saying a little bit before the show, increasing vaccinations, it feels like we're kind of getting back to normal, you know, whatever new normal is and what it looks like. But what's in store in your mind for nonprofit organizations as we slowly come out of this COVID pandemic? Yeah, I think that's kind of TBD. Uh, I think a lot of the, the charities are worried about or, or con- concerned about you know, what happens next now that donors have really stepped have stepped up? Are we going to see a drop off in donations? Are we, are they going to go back to normal giving patterns and give to that arts organization in addition to say some basic services organization? Because a lot of the same a lot of the same trends occurred after the Great Recession, where donors realized oh this, this, the food banks and the basic services organizations need my need my dollars more. Let me give them my donation this year and then hold off for the for say an arts organization. Or something not quite as pressing until uh, later, and it took a while for the arts, uh, the arts sector to, to bounce back fundraising-wise after that. And, and right now, it looks like the same, the same patterns, similar patterns, are holding. Something else the charities I think are going to deal with is you know the work hybrid workplaces and whether they're going to come back. There's a lot of you know a lot of legal issues around whether nonprofits can require a vaccine or whether obviously they can't. They can't make a job contingent on that. They can only really the guidelines are only, you know, recommending or suggesting they don't have to require it, obviously, because it is a personal issue, a personal decision. So that's something that I think charities are going to um, just folks who are running charities are going to try to figure out. A lot of organizations went hybrid, obviously, or went completely remote uh, during the pandemic. Some have really have shifted entirely to that, like the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Uh, or I should say, I think it goes by Susan Susan D. Cohen for a year now. They're they they transformed or in, in the middle of a transformation to roll up all their affiliates into one legal entity. So it's, much like other organizations have done, like American Cancer over the years, American Heart, Alzheimer's Association, they have affiliates, but they're all technically one legal entity. But going back to COVID, they're now fully remote and expect to be permanently. Whereas others are using, say, a hybrid. Another organization I talked to, you know, one CEO said, you know, she was more of a She's very much a boss who wanted you in the office uh, and wanted you there. Uh, and that, I, I think she, she even said she's she's more more about you know, working with employees and what, what what they need and listening to employees. And I think that's something that comes up a lot. In one of our reports, our best nonprofits to work for report is one of our popular reports in April. And we list 50, 50 of the best nonprofits to work for based on 
different kind of surveys and data. And one of the things that one of the trends that always comes up there is, is communication. Employee on the employee surveys is, you know, leadership communicates. There's no guessing on what's what to do or what's happening. You know, or the pipeline, the information pipeline is there, regardless of how. You know, whether it's email or or, or meetings or or this year is all all hands Zoom meetings and that, and that kind of thing. So listening to, to employees and talking to them about what their needs are and kind of really including incorporating that into running the organization. Because another thing over the last over the last year with the it's been described as you know social reckoning of, of social justice and whatnot. It seems like folks are more nonprofit employees are also more apt to speak out on what they see. That might be something that not necessarily they not just that they don't that they don't agree with something, but they're the way they're treated or the way they see their own employees treated. Uh, and that's come up a couple times over the last year and it's cost some CEOs their jobs in terms of you know these concerns were brought to the boards of their respective nonprofits. And the employees weren't pleased with how, you know, to, to how it was resolved or how it was issued. And they, they turned to social media, make it public, saying, this is what our board response was. And, and that's, that definitely caused some turmoil at organizations that didn't, that didn't handle it as smoothly as they could have or didn't, weren't listening at some point. Now, it's really interesting. And I think, yeah, there's been recently a couple of articles about that I read in Nonprofit Times, which is really sad, of course, but uh, it is, it's a different day where you have social media as a resource to communicate things that maybe you've heard or you're upset about and you don't like the direction of your organization or a, you know, another nonprofit or whatever. Maybe this would be a good segue into, uh, did COVID expose weaknesses maybe inherent in the nonprofit sector from your opinion? And then flip side would also be true. Do you feel like through COVID, uh, were there certain unique strengths of the nonprofit sector that really came out in light of this pandemic? I think, uh, yeah, I, I think the strength is just the, the folks who are, you know, the employees and leaders who are dedicated to mission. Um, some of these food banks and some of these other organizations, they were central employees. I mean, they're central organizations. I'm thinking of a um, Matthew 25 Ministries. They're an organization out of Cincinnati, Ohio, very much a gift and kind organization. They, they handle a lot of most of their revenue comes in donated supplies. So they're much they're very much more a supply chain organization really than it is almost as much as a charity. They had they had you know essential employees because they were you know a year ago or more at the start of the pandemic when no one can find PPE or masks or anything like that. You know, they've got pallets and pallets of it in the warehouses because they're setting up you know, ahead of time on logistics because they're usually shipping that off to some disaster or some other needs. You know, I think that's a big strength of it is, is these nonprofits that are, that people don't realize, I don't think, a lot, some of these nonprofits, like for instance, American Red Cross, your average, I think your average American, you know, knows that, oh, they, you know, you get blood to the Red Cross, they respond to the disasters. They may, not, they may not know that they respond to, you know, maybe your neighborhood fire every day. Uh, that's that's most widely respond, responded to disaster by Red Cross is just literally a, a fire every other day somewhere in the U.S. where a family or some people are displaced. But then also the, just the logistics behind it. You've got people moving supplies um, that are needed somewhere, direct relief out of just uh, outside of Santa Barbara. They're a huge logistics and, and basically tr- uh, a supply chain organization, Farm, whether it's pharmaceuticals or medical supplies. Uh, and there's a lot of them out there like that, that, that probably don't, they're not name brand or household necessarily, but they're, you know, just as much like, just like, you know, FedEx or UPS or Amazon, 
They're trying to get something from point A to point B as efficiently as possible. I think it's I think it's probably not a lot different than than companies or corporations. Uh, you know, we talked about the about some of the leadership crises at some organizations. You know, if you're if, if leadership is is just nodding and not listening to employees or or folks like that and not not resolving it, it's not so much that they then maybe it's not that they haven't resolved it maybe to to one employee's satisfaction, but if it's still a group of employees that are that displeased with how it's handled, I think that that's probably a, a bigger issue and a bigger concern than than maybe you know just one person or one employee complaining that they you know weren't treated the way they expected to be. You know, it's it's probably emblematic of of something of something bigger. But I don't think that's I wouldn't say that's necessarily a weakness just of the nonprofit sector. Yeah, that's kind of across the board. You feel like. Yeah, I think it's any, in any yeah. kind of organization. If, if you don't make your employees feel like they're being listened to, I think that's part of an issue. It's part of being authentic and um, and communicating and a part of leadership. I think. Well, that's a good segue into leadership. This is the leadership podcast, obviously, as you know. And in your opinion, who are the leaders that have really not only made a huge impact on our culture, but also have sustained their leadership legacy over a long period of time? What would you say to that in terms of those leaders that really stand out to you? Um, well, I would I would say I'd point to our NPC um, Power and Influence Top 50 every year in, all, in our August print issue. We we list 50, the top 50 nonprofit executives, and we base that. So, you know, some of that it, it takes on um, some of the you know current issues of the day. Like last year's report uh, included a lot of folks who are big, who are very much big during the pandemic. You know, uh, CEO of Feeding America was on there. You you always have a lot of the the folks from CEO. Uh, from Leadership 18, which includes like United Way Worldwide, American Red Cross, a lot of your big national name brand organizations, and then the folks who've been there a long time. But then year to year, you'll see you'll see some different some different kind of tweaks on the list, for lack of a better word, tweaks. But things that that really grab the headlines and and put them at the forefront. Like I said, last year would be you know, pandemic related and and social justice related because that was very much. Um, much bigger in the news than previous years. Uh, other years, it's more technology and social enterprise, kind of an entrepreneurial sort of nonprofit. I remember one year you had a few few there. But your your biggest organizations are always going to get the biggest headlines. I often like to just look back at say the like I said the, the best nonprofits to work for. That shows a lot in terms of leadership too. On that list, we've seen a big organization on there pretty regularly has been uh, Alzheimer's Association out of Chicago. And uh, Harry Johns has been there as a CEO for a long time. I think part of that helps the longevity uh, of your CEO being there. And, and when you're such a big organization, too, having having employees respond to surveys that rank you, you know, higher than, than most others, something to be said for that. And then what I, I love to talk talk about best nonprofits because I usually find I find myself talking to smaller and medium organizations that you, you're not going to see on the front page of the daily newspaper somewhere. You may not even see them on the front page of a small paper in their, you know, in the region, but they have, you know, the, the greatest, I think it's the best stories about, you know, how to keep their employees engaged, how to keep their employees feeling like they, like they're important, like they're valued, which is I think part of leadership. You know, one organization I talked to this year, actually, in fact, the number one best nonprofit this year was the um, U.S. Tennis Association Mid-Atlantic section. Their CEO in, I think it was October, had sent out a care package to employees. Now, they're all working remotely. There's only, at the time, there was, I think it was 21 employees. And actually, they went through layoffs during 
during the pandemic. They had to lay off because the, you know, the grants that they were receiving were cut back. And they still made about the best nonprofits to work for cut, which I thought was fascinating because that means that employees and, and other folks in the organization were still uh, rating them highly on different eight different categories of of employee engagement and, and leadership and development. So getting back to my, my original story, the CEO sent uh, care packages to her employees with a lot of USTA swag, you know, a, a, um, the, a Yeti, a, the Yeti coffee mug that's branded, T-shirts, you know, a, a handwritten note explaining, you know, saying thanks for everything you've done this year during this difficult time. You know, I think, and I think that especially when everyone zoomed out last year, everyone's on, everyone's kind of sick of, of, of video calls by, by, by August or September. You know, in the spring, everyone's like, oh, this is great. I get to, you know, stay at home and, and be on the, uh, on the Zoom call. And, and, uh, you know, after a few months of that, it's like, I might be back in the office. So I, I thought that really struck me. And there's little things like that, I think leadership, little, little leadership nuggets that I find at smaller nonprofits that I think just are, are unique and, um, and really could be applied almost, uh, almost anywhere, which I, that's why I think that that report really, really, I think has some good examples on, on leadership and, and how to engage your employees and, and keep them in the loop, so to speak. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think, yeah, typically people think the best leaders, the best organizations are always bigger because they have more, you know, responsibility, they impact more people. But it's interesting you find sometimes those smaller organizations are really able to hone in on a few things and specialize on them. How do you typically hear about those smaller organizations? Do they just have their staff write in or do you kind of check things out, you know, via online or before COVID where you would you travel around and uh, investigate some of these non nonprofits on a smaller scale? Uh, you know, as far as the um, the best nonprofits, we've often gotten more and more nonprofits involved in that over the years. We've been in that report for, I think, 10 years now. Each year, there's a few more who uh, agree to be part of the survey, and that helps uh, just getting the word out there uh, that the survey's out there, because a lot of them also use that to use the survey results to improve their own organization, whether it's, you know, adding a, um, adding some kind of benefit that they weren't aware that employees needed or wanted, I, I should say. Or just other things like that, based off employee feedback. Other things we do, you know, pre-pandemic, we would we would um, we would attend several several different um, nonprofit conferences. You know, N10, the Technology Conference, Association of Fundraising Professionals Annual Conference, and then some other smaller regional ones in the DC area. And we might run we'll run across the usual uh, the usual nonprofits there, but also the usual being you know, like I said, the the big national organizations, but also here and there just regional nonprofits that happen to be at the conference that we might not see elsewhere. That's always interesting to see how that uh, sauce is made, so to speak. So, okay, excellent. Well, uh, as you look over last year and you look towards the future, 2021, and even into 2022, what is giving you hope right now for the nonprofit sector as a whole? Well, I would say Americans giving over the pandemic because uh, I wouldn't be surprised if when the Giving USA numbers come out, Actually, in in June, so it's not too not too long from now, we'll see that 2020 giving probably went up considerably, and that's that's always hopeful because honestly, you can always count on American Americans giving in a time of need, so that's that's hopeful. At the same time, like I said before, it's to be determined whether whether they'll continue giving or whether they'll remain flat afterward uh, after the pandemic when the kind of things get back to normal. But there's you know there's plenty of folks in the nonprofit sector who who know what they're doing in terms of just running organizations. You know, I think the average American probably expects nonprofits are just volunteer do-getters and 
should, you know, why making six figure salaries if they're, if they're a nonprofit, they should be doing it for free. But, you know, if you want to run a billion dollar or even a $10 billion organization, how to find somebody to run for free? You know, the people, I don't think, I don't think America, I don't think the average person realizes that it's, it's a business like any other in terms of making, having to make revenue and uh, against your expenses. You know, you still have to pay the rent. You still have to keep the lights on. You still have to pay payroll taxes. You may be exempt from certain taxes, but you know, it's a big part of the economy elsewhere. And I think folks think your average, average folks don't, don't realize that. I know. I think you're absolutely right. Well, it's been so fascinating to have you on the show. For my listeners, how can they find out more a little about you as well as find out more about the Nonprofit Times? Well, definitely go to our website, www.thenonprofittimes.com. We've got all, pretty much all our content there, whether it's e- your weekly e-newsletters. We have MPT Weekly that comes out every Monday. Instant fundraising, which is obviously focused on fundraising every Tuesday. We've got our fresh research podcast there. We update the site pretty much daily with, with other briefs and notes. And you can also subscribe to either e-newsletters or our print edition. And our digital, our, our, our print edition is available as a digital edition on the website as well. We come out each month and um, our monthly issues come out with more in-depth kind of longer, longer type reviews that you would see online. Like this uh, most recent episode, most recent issue went a little bit more in-depth into say the NRA bank bankruptcy filings and the Supreme Court, a big Supreme Court case involving donor disclosure that should be um, that should be decided by the end of uh, this term in June. So we might be a little more in-depth and a little more analytical than our online offerings. You can reach us by email at info at mptimes.com or directly to me, Mark, M-A-R-K, at mptimes.com. We're also on um, Twitter at Nonprofit Times and Facebook and LinkedIn. All the social, which is great. Well, again, if you're listening, I would encourage if you haven't checked out the Nonprofit Times, it's really a worthwhile resource. As Mark's just shared, just a really a few sampling things that he has run across. There's so much there and they do keep up on the latest research and trends. So I encourage you to check out the Nonprofit Times. Again, Mark, thanks so much for taking time to be on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Rob. It was a lot of fun. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.